0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad free on Amazon Music, included with Prime.
1: Looking for the truth and not worried about rattling some cages to get at it. This is The Roy Green Show.
0: You can subscribe to my podcast at RoyGreenshow.com and follow me on Twitter at The Roy Green It's been very active on Twitter over the last week. Lots and lots of communication. One of the things that I raised that we're going to talk about tomorrow, and I might have been, uh, if I wasn't the first, I was very close to being the first, who brought up the issue of the unwise approach by Andrew Shearer in sending Maxime Bernier to the political gulag. I mean, I saw this one coming. I I really saw this one coming when uh, Bernier and uh, his team challenged Andrew Scheer and what they said were fake conservatives signed up before the uh, leadership race from the Quebec dairy world, saw this coming. And uh, I think it was extremely unwise for Andrew Scheer to move the man who had 49% of the vote, was 66 votes away from being the leader himself and shoving him, uh, as I said, into the gulag. So on Twitter, I've been asking for either Andrew Scheer or Maxime Bernier to join us tomorrow when we're going to be talking about this. And I uh, haven't heard of anything from Mr. Scheer, but I did receive a direct message from Maxime Bernier Hi, Roy. Thanks a lot for the offer, but I prefer not to give any interviews for now. Max. Fair enough. I appreciate you getting in touch with us, Mr. Bernier, and we can talk another day. We certainly will talk about what happened within the Conservative Party of Canada tomorrow. I was accused on Twitter of not being a loyal conservative by taking on the leader. I wasn't being helpful. It's not my leader. I'm not a member of the Conservative Party of Canada. I'm a philosophical conservative. But just because you have conservative in your branding doesn't mean I'm going to follow you. Tom Quiggin is the primary contributor to the podcast The Quiggin Report. That's Q-U-I-G-G-I-N. During his 25 years in the intelligence community, he was also an arms control inspector under the Vienna Document and the conventional forces in Europe treaty, and we want to talk to Tom, who's good enough to provide us with this time quite regularly about this issue of North Korea, and what may or may not happen, what could happen if Mr. Kim Jong Un decides he is going to denuclearize. What does a weapons inspector do? What's the role, Tom? Thank you for thank you for the time. And what, just fundamentally, what's the greatest challenge of being a weapons inspector?
1: Uh, well, thanks for inviting me to the to the show, Roy. Um, the greatest challenge to, the, to any arms control uh, agreement, the greatest challenge to any arms control inspector is to ensure that you have a good legally binding treaty in place to start with. So I mean, right now with North Korea and South Korea and America and China, of course, there is no uh, arms control treaty in place. There was just a brief general and ambiguous statement. But what we need to see is a treaty which will be legally binding. It has to be a no-notice treaty it has to be intrusive. It has to allow for on-site inspections with the inspectors of your choice. And those inspectors have to be able to go at the time and the place of your choosing with no geographic limitations. This is one of the big failures of the Iranian nuclear agreement is they didn't have those key figures in place. So this is one of the things to watch for in the, uh, in the deal with North Korea and South Korea.
0: Can you share an experience that you had while inspecting weapon systems?
1: Well, um, just, just maybe perhaps by way of explanation, under the Conventional Forces in Europe Treaty, uh, which could serve as a good model for the uh, North Korean situation, is we had exactly that. We had a treaty in place which allowed us to go to Russia or Belarus or Poland or Ukraine or wherever. Uh, we would show up in, say, for instance, Moscow in Russia, and only once we got to the airport in Moscow or to their airbase would we then tell them, to which base we wanted to go and then the clock started ticking and typically they would get us there by that evening so that we could see the base immediately the same day once we arrived at the base there was a list of equipment a list of buildings etc that was supposed to be at the base and then we were given freedom of the base and the surrounding area to inspect every shed every building every hangar every runway every piece of equipment or whatever as we chose to do it so we had a high degree of confidence in that treaty while we were doing it with the, with the Russians and others, exactly for that reason. It was no notice, uh, it was, had no geographic limitations on it, and we had the right to move about all the buildings and areas at our own time and our own speed, uh, within a very few limitations. So uh, I did several of these things. Uh, one of the real shocking ones to us, I remember at the time, was we did an inspection in eastern Ukraine, when we landed in Kiev, all was good. We got met by the Ukrainians. The language of the inspection was to be Ukrainian and English. Um, but When we got to eastern Ukraine in a place called Konotop, we discovered that no one there could actually speak Ukrainian, uh, <laughs> given the nature of the area, and yeah. we had to switch the language to Russian. And for us, that was a real education. Yeah. So when you think about what's going on in Ukraine right now, It was like, wow, that was interesting. Most of eastern Ukraine is, in fact, run by Russians.
0: When you say "we," are you talking about NATO?
1: Uh, This was run. uh, The conventional forces in Europe treaty was run between NATO and what was at the time the Warsaw Pact and what eventually would become uh, a variety of countries, i.e., Russia, Belarus, Poland, etc. Okay. So yeah, it was uh, carried out under the auspices of NATO. So when we were uh, actually okay, Tom, uh, let me
0: let me get you to just hold for a couple of minutes, if you can. Do you mind? Yeah. We'll come back with Tom Quiggin on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network, primary contributor to the podcast, The Quiggan Report, and was an arms control inspector. I have a few more questions for Tom, and then we'll introduce you to a political science professor from Winnipeg, and we'll talk about the Donald Trump threat to Canada. Uh, do not go away. You know you hit the big leagues when you're a guest on his show. This is the Roy Green Show. Wow. I'm on Twitter at the Roy Green Show and emails to Roy at RoyGreenshow.com. I getting some emails about Colonel Mansour, oh, he must have Trump derangement syndrome. Come on. Come on. He's a very senior former military officer who had some very challenging things to say about Barack Obama when Obama was president. What I like about Peter Mansour is. You get from him what he thinks the situation is. That's what I asked him to do. I just can't have blind loyalty. All right? Tom Quiggan. Um, we got back to Tom for a couple of minutes. Primary contributor to the podcast, the Quiggan Report. He was an arms control inspector under the Vienna Document and the Conventional Forces in Europe Treaty. Tom, can a nation hide what it wants true, from weapons inspection teams? Now you said you... And you went to Russia, you didn't tell them where you wanted to go until you were there. But can they be so well prepared that they can pretty well hide what they don't want you to see?
1: A couple of different things, Roy. One is with respect to North Korea. have to remember it's actually a pretty small space. It's about one-fifth the size of Saskatchewan. So for them to hide anything of any substance, like a nuclear test site or a nuclear launching site, would be incredibly
0: difficult. Good point. The
1: the other thing is the technology today is not the technology of the 1950s. So for instance, we know that the mountain where North Korea was doing their nuclear tests actually moved considerably. Uh, It shrank about uh, 12 feet in height and moved several feet uh, laterally. After the last nuclear explosion, and this is determined by what's called a synthetic aperture radar satellite, whose ground measuring capability is that accurate. So we know that, for instance, that nuclear test site has probably collapsed internally and is now no longer useful. So with a combination of national technical means technology, which is to say satellites and electronic eavesdropping, combined with an effective intrusive on-site arms control inspection, it's getting very difficult for countries to hide major projects such as nuclear test sites, missile launching sites, and that kind of activity.
0: All right, let me ask you one more quick question. What do you expect out of North Korea after watching the interchange between uh, Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un? Uh, do you expect that something positive is going to come out of this, or do you think that that Kim was very good at playing the President of the United States.
1: Uh, Positive things have already happened. The nuclear tests, uh, the last one was September 2017, and the missile tests, the last one was in November, they've stopped. You've had the meeting itself, which was amazing. That was the first time there was a meeting between North Korean president and an American president uh, ever, so like first time in 68 years since the war stopped, what we need to see happen next, and this will be the method of measuring what's going on, is will there be a series of confidence and security-building measures, which is to say a series of small measures which are relatively minor but very transparent. So, for instance, an exchange of military officers so you can observe each each other's exercises. So we have a, a brief general ambiguous agreement to start. It will move into confidence and security-building measures gradually, and then eventually it has to lead to an actual legally binding, intrusive on-site arms control and inspection treaty. And, folks, remember this can take months and years, not days and weeks. So, for instance, the START talks with the Soviet Union went on for years mm-hmm. before they were finally successful. But okay. successful they were.
0: Tom, thank you. Always good talking to you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ray. Tom Quiggin. The Quiggin Report is a podcast. I I should have asked him whether YouTube is letting them on uh, YouTube yet. They should, but anyway.